brand new series titled Transformation. And as we launch into this series, we, we want to aim at a target. We want to aim to lean into all that God has for us. As we believe, this will be a monumental season for our church. That's how we're aiming. Now, our goal is to embrace our vision as we seek both personal transformation in Christ and the transformation that God wants for our church's mission. I believe that we are at a pivotal moment where we need to transform our unique individualism to fit the movement, the family, the unit that God has called us to be. If we're going to bring more people in, more assets, more friends, more whatever it is, more, we have to be ready to handle more. And so tonight we're going to build the tracks for which the fast train can run on. As we begin our new series, I would like to also challenge you to join me in a, in a family-wide journey of prayer. At the end of each service, we will spend just a little while together. We're going to take ourselves from one posture of sitting to another posture of bowed, moved, transition to the presence of God, the place of altering. We're going to join together expecting and praying intentionally as a church family for the miraculous to take place in our lives, our workings, and our services. In the, the decision-making, the things we've spoke about that are on our docket, we want to pray that God uses us to steward his miracles and his mission. Not so that we can enjoy the miraculous just for ourselves, but so that those who are far from God would come to know him. Every single miracle Jesus performed in the New Testament was either uh, preceded or followed by the miracle of salvation. Jesus did not do a single miracle that did not point to the fact that he is the Savior. Every miracle was for that purpose. And so if we're going to pray for crazy faith, miracle moments in Mobile, through our families, through our church, we have to be ready for salvation. And we have to be ready for people to come that are looking for a church that loves God and loves people and has no condition because God loves unconditionally. Though his word brings us some, some tracks to live by and, and some, some guidelines to follow, he loves unconditionally. No matter who they are, where they come from, what they've done, where they've been, it doesn't matter. We have to be ready to receive the masses and to love the masses. That means that you have to put on your pastor's hat and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love my few when they come. Because I assure you, I alone can't love the hundreds, the thousands that we are going to reach. But together, we can change the world. Together, we are leaning into a new challenge, and I want to put before us, even in the midst of this what's next season, I believe God is birthing in this church family. Through our faith, I believe that God will take us to 60 in attendance weekly. Why do we want to see more people here? The more people, the more influence, the more influence, the more change, the more change, the more people, the more people, the more influence, the more influence, the more change. And it becomes a cycle that we begin to really, truly change a city, to change a coast, to change a nation, to change a world by simply loving God and all people, by loving, by creating, and by being. We want to love God and all people. We want to create kingdom culture everywhere we go, and we want to simply be the church. And in this series, we're going to be defining that, but I believe that in the next 
Three months, God is going to take us to 60, 60 and three, like a, like a race car. You punch the floor, you push the pedal to the metal, and you want it to go from zero to 60 as fast as possible. And I believe that if you decide to put on that loving leadership hat in the church, that ownership hat to love, create, and be, that God will take us from zero to 60 in three months. Why? Not so that I can say, look what I did. <laughs> I'm a pastor. So that we can say, wow, look what God can't do. If God can do zero to 60, can do 10 to 60 can change lives through me and I don't even have it all figured out. What can't he do? So when you hear me talk about 60 and 30, um, 60 and three, that's what we're talking about. 60 people that come to this church to call this place home because you love somebody, because you loved somebody. In three months, no matter where we land, no matter where we are, God will see this happen. But it takes not me. Make no mistake, this is not a church of a pastor. This is a church of people. And it takes all of us to play our part, to love, to grow, to even, you say, oh, I don't know very many people in Mobile. Neither do I, but together we're going to make new friends. And when they don't like us, we'll call them frenemies and we'll keep inviting them because one day our enemies will either become our friends or God will heap ashes of coal upon their head. It's his, it's his job to decide, not ours. We're called to steward the love that God has given us, to give love away and to count the measure by which God has given to us so that we can continue to overflow. 60 and three. We are dreaming big for we know God has a big breakthrough on our horizon. When we agree together in faith, we know that God is with us. And through our faith, mountains can move. Check this out. Matthew 17, verse 20. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you had a faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there. Mountain move from here to there, and it would have to move. Nothing would be impossible. Faith of a mustard seed. To put that in perspective, a mustard seed can almost fit underneath your thumbnail. It can almost fit underneath your fingernail. It's a tiny little seed up against a mighty mountain. If that little bit of faith says, you know what? I'm not going to say God can't do something because God can do whatever he wants. That mountain will move. And sometimes, let's be real. Sometimes God says, okay, Sarah, you want the mountain to move. <laughs> Here's a shovel. Still have faith? Start digging. And then he watches you dig that mountain out the way. Ah, oh, man, I don't just, I want this dead gum mountain to move. And you're shoveling and you're shoveling. And God says, man, you really do. You got that faith, girl. Let me send you my spirit. And then the spirit comes and it's like, bum, 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 bum. And there's a bulldozer and God's like, hop in because you're about to get some power. And when you get more power, the mountain begins to move. And then every once in a while, God's a good father. And he says, you have shown yourself proven. You have shown yourself true. You have proven yourself. I'm going to flatten that mountain. What once was a great mountain is now a great plain because God said, I'm going to take the things in front of you and I'm going to move them when you have faith. As small as a mustard seed. Time and time again, Jesus did the miraculous so that people around would believe. Four friends in scripture lowered their crippled friend down in front of Jesus. A man who couldn't move, the four friends climbed to the top of the house. They moved the wicker, they moved the roofing, they moved the, the, the limbs, they moved the stuff around. They created a hole. It was so packed full of people. The audience was huge. And they, they lowered their friend down through the ceiling of this church meeting, if you would, right in front of Jesus. It's got to be one of the weirdest things. Like, it's a, it's a plane. It's a man. 
It's a crippled man flying. What is happening in this church service, y'all? Like, right? And Jesus looks at the man and he says, essentially, um, and I would encourage you to go read it, but essentially he does the greatest miracle of all. He tells the man that he is forgiven of his sins. He forgives the man. Salvation. And the church people watching have a, not a party, they have a fit. They lose their ever-loving mind. Are you kidding me? Who do you think you are, Jesus? What do you mean you're forgiving him of his sins? What? And Jesus says, well, would it be easier for you to believe that I could heal this man than to say his sins are forgiven? Fine, man, get up and walk. And I want to show you the first miracle, the greatest miracle is salvation. Jesus wasn't concerned about the distorted limbs or the the, the lameness of this man. And so I want to tell you tonight that you have brought yourself to God and you are on the threshold of stepping into something bigger for your family, for your city, for family city. You're on the threshold and God says, I don't care about how lame you think you are. I care about your soul. And that's what will set you free. That's what will set the miracles free in your life. And so he looks at us in our crippleness and he says stand up be healed because you are saved we see Jesus call out to Lazarus and what does he do before he yells Lazarus come out of that grave you dead man live again he kneels down and he prays out loud so that people like you church people like you and I watching going This hasn't been done before. I'll never see this happen. And I wonder how many of us have come up to the threshold and said, okay, let's watch. It's never happened before. And instead of being the person who watches the dead man rise, we internalize the dead man himself and we put on his very inaction. We were the dead person. See, the dead people in Christ are watching Christ about to perform the greatest miracle ever seen. And what does Jesus do? He kneels down and he says, Father, I do this so that they will believe that you sent me. I know you give me anything that I ask, but I do this so they will know. And then he stands up and he says, Lazarus! He could have yelled, miracle! Because this guy was dead, so dead that they didn't want to remove the stone because it had been days and the body's gases would begin to fill that tomb with odors. But they called him out of the tomb. And what happened? People realize who Jesus is. By your faith, by your ability to transform yourself into more like Christ, to be more in the image of him, to give yourself to his transformation, to be loved, people will see that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. Oh, but we're in a time of of crisis. I mean, have you watched the news COVID somehow still exists. Abortion's the number one topic. What's, what do I do? Am I a Democrat? Am I a Republican? Do I even like America anymore? Are we going to war? Is there going to be a recession? Is there going to be a depression? Oh, I'm depressed already. Oh my gosh. And all God is waiting is for somebody to go, you know what? Jesus can call Lazarus out of the tomb. I believe that. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said that I will do even greater things on this earth in his name, by his power, than even he did while he was here. So I'm going to step out. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to have crazy faith. Often in the pivots, when you are living for Jesus, and I'm I'm preaching to myself right now, in that pivotal moment, see, in basketball, you pivot so that you can hopefully get away from a defender and make a shot, but sometimes you pivot straight into another defender, and then what happens 90% of the time, there's a tie-up or there's a foul, But in spiritual context, when God's pushing us into a pivot, it's often so that we can pivot from one 
average moment of faith into a great moment of faith. But how do we do that? We have faith of a mustard seed, and we love. We love like there's nothing God can't do. The individual that we reached out to today, I'm, I'm going to pass. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Mustard seed. Mustard seed. Listen, get yourself a little bottle of mustard. If you, if you, don't, if you don't got the money to buy a 99-cent bottle of mustard and, and put it on your shelf, I'll buy you one. Just so you can remember that all it takes is a little mustard seed, a little, little, a little squirt, a little squirt of faith, a little mustard seed. And that person says, you know what? When I said I wouldn't come last week, I was wrong. I'm going to come. I'm going to show up. I need what you have because you clearly love me. People want to be where they're loved. What do you think the show says, uh, the place where everybody knows their name? where everybody knew their name, right? They, why did they go back to that restaurant, to that bar, to that pub? Because everybody knew their name. What happens if we become the church that knows their name, that loves them so much, they go, huh. Yeah, that faith that was a mustard seed, love blows that mustard seed out of the water. Talk about fishing with dynamite. Have a little bit of faith and put love in the middle of it. If we want to see the miracle, miraculous we must desire and expect them for the right reasons. If we truly want transformation, we have to lean in for the right reason. Check this out. If you want to see miracles, you must pray for the salvation of others. I do not believe that God will bless your prayer for miracles if you're not praying for others. God, I need a better paycheck. God, I need a better job. God, help me, help me fix this. And don't get me wrong, God blesses his people. I'm not saying he won't, but I'm saying you want to see miracles? You want to be able to like know that you know that you know miracles are on their way? Pray for somebody else and God shows up. Ooh, I'm about to start going. I'm about to come off because miracles happen so others may believe in Jesus. When you pray for others, miracles happen. I believe that's a heavenly recipe. In this series, we are looking for personal transformation so that we may better take our role of ownership in reaching the lost. Today, we look at our responsibility to love. Part of our vision as a church family is also known as the greatest commandment from Scripture, to love God and all people, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's how Scripture says it. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 39. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So where do we start with our transformation? The answer to our personal transformation and the radical forwarding of our church and the mission of God is the same. We must remember what it means to truly love God. I believe if we spend even a minute in the presence of God, we will walk away loving him and loving them more. It starts with us, with me, myself, and I being willing to humble ourselves in prayer and allow God to radically speak to us. It means we are willing to give up everything just to see one person come to know him. If we want to see God move, we have to become less selfish and more selfless. You want to see God move in your life? Become less selfish and more selfless. 
One interaction between a wealthy man and Jesus gives us a good idea of where we can start our transformation with Christ. Here we go. We're going to read some scripture and then we're going to land the plane. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 26. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There was only one who is good, but to keep and to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. <gasps> and I've obeyed all these commandments. And like, like this man, we're probably going, check, I've never killed somebody, check, I'm not stealing stuff all the time, check, I've, I like my mom and my dad for the most part, <laughs> check. And we go through this spiritual hierarchy of checks and balances and we go, oh, look at me, I'm Christian. And the man says, just that. I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? So Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It is very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of, of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, this is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Jesus is the purest definition of love. But how do we truly love the one who defines love? Is it even possible? If he's the definition, how do we love the definer? If you want to love Jesus, you have to be willing to be like Jesus, to be sacrificial. Check this out. Loving Jesus means being sacrificial, willing to follow him no matter the cost. Only when we have fallen deeply in love with God can we begin to love like he does. It's only by loving him that we can love them. I promise you, in your best of days, you will never love somebody in your own might as good as you could if you love them in Jesus. Doesn't matter how perfect you get it by human standards, without Jesus, you can only go so high. Jesus is the one who takes that proverbial love ceiling out of our life and he says, now you can love like I love when you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. It becomes easier to love them and to love yourself. So if we find ourselves in his presence with regularity and, and we, we have a love for him that is burning white hot, then how do, we, how do we begin to love others as we lead them to salvation in Jesus? If, if man, I've arrived, I feel like I love God a whole bunch. I, I feel like I'm kind of like, I pray quite a bit. I mean, I feel like I'm getting better. Like I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, fine. But if we're there, how do we, 
How do we begin to love others like that? How do we love them like Jesus would? First, and there's five points, and this is going to be quick, be mindful. Number one, you have to be mindful. We need to connect more deeply with our lives and the people in them rather than living a detached, disconnected existence. Though we will use online tools, we will make them as personable as possible. Because we know that it is the connection between one human and another that brings about the opportunity to love for Jesus. If you want to love them like Jesus would, be in the moment. In leadership teachings, I often say things about um, the fact that you have to show up. And people are like, yeah, I can show up. No, 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 no. You got to show up not just physically in the room, but mentally in the room. You have to be mindful. Secondly, you have to be approachable. If you want to love them like Jesus would, be approachable. It's important for people to feel safe approaching us. In other words, we must become less exclusive in our interactions with others and more welcoming to those who seek us out. Jesus did not come to be exclusive. He came to be inclusive. It's not a VIP experience to be a Christian. He said, anybody who will accept me can come in. Anybody who will love me. Anybody, I love them. If they want to be a part of the family, they have to just accept me as the Savior, the Lord, and Lord of their lives. It's not an exclusivity. It's, it's, it's an inclusivity. It's a welcoming. It's as if Jesus is the welcome mat that says, you are home, baby girl. Woo, welcome home, son. It's as if Jesus is the very threshold. Oh, wait, he is the threshold from us in earth to us in heaven. We have to be approachable. Third, we must be full of grace. We must be willing to relate to others in a less judgmental way. In America, we are good. And I'll be honest, just in, in humanity, but um, in America, I feel like we're at a whole other level than, than a lot of other places, but it, it's everywhere. We are good as people. We're really good at, at judging. Even if it's like the most subtle thing, like, ah, uh, I'm not gonna hang out with them because they don't like the same food I like. I mean, it's silly. But as Christians, we don't have that opportunity. We, don't have, we can't afford that. I can't only love you because you do what I do and you think the way I think and you love the way I love and you, you look the way I look. I mean, listen, you can shave your head bald or you can grow your hair all the way out. Kevin, I'm gonna love you the same, bro. It doesn't matter. Listen, join the bald club, baby. Come to the dark side, I mean, to the light side. Come on, this is, this is where it's at. But listen, it doesn't matter if you shave your head and you grow out an orangey red beard like me and you get a little rounder in the midsection. It doesn't matter if you're all those things or you're none of those things. It's my job to love you the same. And it's silly and I'm putting it in kind of a ha-ha way. But we get that way with subtle things, with soft things, with little things, and we get that way with big things. And as Christians, we do not have the luxury of being anything less than full of grace. Meaning I'm gonna love you no matter where you come from, what you've done, who you've done it to, I'm gonna love you. It's God's job one day to judge, not mine. My job is to show you the truth of God's word and love you the whole time. Fourth is you've got to be self-giving. We need to become less self-absorbed and more invested in those around us. Less self-absorbed and more invested in those around us. You want to make a difference? Invest. Invest. I assure you, the relationships you invest in, they eventually pay dividends for yourself and your family, for, for the kingdom of God. What you invest in pays out dividends, pays it out. 
It's just a fact. It's, it's almost like we're, 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 uh, man, we're investing in, we're jumping in, we're putting crypto in the places that we know for a fact, which is illegal, uh, we know for a fact will return a heavy investment. But spiritually, God says, no, no, it's totally cool. Um, I want you to know that you're about to get a big ROI, a return on your investment. I want you to love and invest and love and invest and love and invest in them and watch me show up miraculously in your life. It's like we're cheating the system, but God doesn't call it cheating. He said, when you love me with everything you are and you love them, I will show you the miraculous. And then lastly, you have to be bold. Bold, my version and your version could be very different types of boldness, but boldness is still boldness. We have to shed our fears and insecurities. In Paul's writings to Timothy of encouragement to stay faithful, he low-key addresses a few necessary qualities that we must possess if we aim to have good relationships. How do you love God and love people like you love yourself? You've got to have some boundaries and some, some qualities in your life. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Some say self-control. Some verses translate that word as a sound mind. He's given you power, love, and a sound mind. If we are to strive towards healthy relationships that point people to Jesus, we have to know where our power comes from. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You want to love like Jesus, then be like Jesus. His power was shown to us through his resurrection. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Our power is found in his story, the gospel. Our relationships depend on us expressing the true sacrificial love of Christ. John 10, 11, and 14, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You want to be like Jesus, be the good shepherd. Know your sheep and love your sheep and make sure that you know their name and they know yours. And if we want to be better and have better relationships, we must have self-control. In writing to the persecuted church, the book of James states in chapter 1, verse 19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. In this time, in this day and age, I mean, we've got more input from our devices and from the world around us and, and their devices. <laughs> we, we've got so much input that it's hard to control our output. So what I would encourage you to do is lean into prayer and make sure that you have a connection point to the one source that gives you the best input, God the Father, through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's power. Be connected to the one input source that you need it the most. Listen, I can take a lot of news in, I can take a lot of politics in, I can take a lot of warmongering in, I can take a lot of hate and a lot of this and a lot of that, and I can be divisive and I can be stuck and I can become all these things, or I can say, shut up world, I'm going to the Father. You've got to be plugged in so that you can be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Not a reactionary, impulsive thinker. Early in our marriage, a reactionary moment. And honestly, I'm going to pretend like it doesn't still happen, but it's like a subtle little battle in our house still. Early in our marriage, we had this big, long talk about what temperature the AC would be set at. 
And I'm convinced that I was like, listen here, lady, you know, Wild West, because I know Oklahoma like six shooters. This thing's gonna, this temperature needs to be like 69 because I love it frigid. I love it frigid. Mm. Put me like a polar bear, like ice cold. It's great. Let's go. That's me. Put me in the wild north. Not Canada, but like norther than that because Canada's Canada. I want to be cold. And my wife was like, I'm not saying she's, you know, the devil, but she definitely likes the equator, okay? She likes it to be hot, okay? She likes it to be warm. I just got the biggest look. I'm not even going to look at her. I can see her like eyeballing me like, I'm going to murder you. Uh, not really. We don't talk like that. But yes, yeah, she does. Save me. <laughs> Wink once if you're scared. Okay. Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. But when it comes to the heat or the cool in our house, it's like a thing. Like I, at nighttime, it's like, I'll, I'll, we'll wait. I can feel it. Like we're kind of like, okay, I've noticed. She's like, I think he's actually going to stay in bed. And she, she turns it down and then I'm like, <laughs> I got her. And I get up and I go and I'm like, nudge. And I'm trying to like sneak by the thermometer, the temperature, you know, I'm like, I'm like, like uh, no, nudge it down. Oh shoot, I didn't push it twice. No, I got to go back. It's obvious. And so there's just like this tension, this pull, this back and forth. But early in our marriage, it was kind of like a big deal. Like I would get flat out. Like I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, listen, listen, girl, I can only get so many clothes off. You can put a blanket on or 12. Stop turning the heat up. And, and I would react. And I find myself sometimes wanting to react. Still. I'm like, it's so stinking hot and humid in Alabama. Turn it down a little more. But I've had to learn to not be reactionary. And though it's a silly point, and though it has zero spirituality, I've had to become proactive in my planning. I know that if I turn the air too far down, then I'm gonna have to sacrifice turning the fan down or off. But if I have the constant airflow from the fan above, I tend to stay cooler. So if I only turn the fan down one notch, I get a little bit of extra cool and I can leave the fan on and there's no tension. But if I blow that thermostat way down, or God forbid right now, because it's so hot out, I forget to turn it down or turn it up when I leave, like holy moly, like it's, it, you know, I've learned to live in the balance that makes my wife happy sometimes, that makes me happy sometimes. And I want to tell you today that loving them is best accomplished when we're proactive, not reactive. But ultimately, it's best accomplished as we live by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23, and here we go. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there is no law against those things. You want to experience a revival in your spirit? You want to walk closer with Jesus? You have to love him and love them. You got to shake off those heavy bands. You got to release yourself in the name of Jesus to experience transformation tonight. You got to man down and get on your knees and pray. Radically surrender to the miraculous in your life, realizing that sometimes not having control means that God is in control. And then you have to chase after the salvation of others in Jesus' name. You can't save them, but you can chase them down for him. Transformation starts with your decision to change. There's power in Jesus' name. There's life in his word. Prayer and surrender changes our lives and the lives of those around you. You want to experience the miracles of heaven truly meeting earth, then you have to expect the miracle of heaven meeting earth. God often shows up in what we expect him to show up in. A personal goal should be to aim so that you're immersed in the prayer and presence 
of God. But you're so immersed in the prayer and presence of God that when you walk in the next room, people know that you've been in the presence of God far before you ever spoke. People can feel when you have truly been connected to the Father's presence. Right now, God is speaking to you about you. Will you lean into the transformation? God is speaking to you about you for the sake of others. So will you embrace your change so that others might come to know Jesus? The question is, what are you waiting for? Because there really is no more room for excuses. Jesus is here.